Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2020 MLB season will be one like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. Hey, warm hello. Welcome to Lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, as we've got a tremendous show for you. We're going to be joined by Jake Asman in the second segment. We're going to be looking at these postseason races. How far can the New York Yankees go in the World Series? What sort of parity can we expect in the first round of the playoff? And just what we can expect from these final last couple days as these National League teams all jockey for position in the playoffs and try to just get in in general. So, great chat coming up there. In the final segment, I give you guys a signing total on every game on the Friday MLB betting board. It's something I like to call touch them all. First things first, I do like to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If there is something that you like answered, one of two ways to be able to fire that in. My Twitter feed, at JRSCordy1. Do not send those via direct message. The letter ZM to Mimi does not matter. Or you can leave a Apple Podcast review. Please do rate five stars at actually helps me do what I do a little bit easier on this podcast, gives this podcast a little bit more exposure, and thus makes it a bigger platform for me to be able to spread all my baseball wisdom. So I do appreciate that. But you can also send in your questions, comments, concerns there as well. Did not get in any today, but we are at a fever pitch when it comes to the baseball season. In a few days, we are going to have the postseason. And we saw some interesting results on Thursday. So let's take a look back at them, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around 
the bases and find out. Wasn't necessarily a terrific day for some of the teams that are looking to be able to solidify some playoff positioning out there in the National League. The San Francisco Giants wind up getting upset by the Colorado Rockies by a count of five to four. Rockies North Bay $2 underdog are able to get the job done despite going three of 18 with runners at scoring position and stranding 12 men on base. Chichi Gonzalez gave a not so great first two innings, but he settled down going five and a third, giving up three runs. Michael Givens gives up a one run out the bullpen, but for the Colorado Rockies, five and two thirds innings, including two and two thirds from Daniel Bart out of the bullpen, giving up just that one run. And for the San Francisco Giants, this is a team that they've been without Mikey Stramski in the starting lineup. He did make a pinch inning appearance, but they go three of 18 with runners in scoring position. If you had this total over at nine as it reached eight and a half in a couple spots, I do light a candle for you. Kevin Gosman was terrific in this start. He winds up punching out nine. He gives up two runs over the course of six innings. And then Sam Conrad gives up two runs out of the bullpen. And then from there, the lone run given up by the bullpen was Trevor Gale. And that was the runner that starts on second. So it was unearned. So over the course of five innings, he gave up two runs. Bullpen of the San Francisco Giants was deep. But now they are 28 and 28. And they're certainly going to be battling with a team that wound up losing on Thursday as well. The Milwaukee Brewers for that final playoff spot. As they wind up losing to the St. Louis Cardinals by a count of 42. Now do note that St. Louis might wind up having to play against Detroit on Monday. Monday if things come down to a little bit of a dead heat slash a tie. But for the Milwaukee Brewers, they expected more out of Corbin Burns than they got. Three runs given up in three two-thirds innings. Give credit to the bullpen. You had Randy Black along with Corey Knable, Eric Yardley, and Justin Tapa come in. And they came in for four and a third innings, and they gave up one run for Corbin Burns. He did wind up giving up a home run to Dylan Carlson for Carlson, his tournament on the campaign, and for the St. Louis Cardinals. One of 16 with men in scoring position. If you had this total over, oh my goodness gracious, as... You wind up having Kwang Young Kim give another good start for the St. Louis Cardinals. Buck 62 ERA on the year. He gives up one run over the course of five innings. He evaded danger as well as he gave up five hits and two walks. From there, the bullpen winds up giving up one run in four innings. That was Alex Reyes, who wound up pitching 31 pitches in his inning. He gave up that one run. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, they wind up going with men in scoring position two of nine. They strand nine men on base. So that was certainly very interesting. And we are seeing a lot of unders in St. Louis Cardinals games, rightfully. So for the poopy Pittsburgh Pirates, they've been quite the under team because they just haven't generated a lot of runs. But for the Chicago Cubs, a team that wound up two weeks ago being the tops out there in the big leagues with regards to runs per game on the road, they generate nothing as they lose their third straight to the Pirates 7 to nothing for the Cubs. 0 of 5 with runners in scoring position. Alec Mills, after that no-hitter, has been hit around recently. Four runs given up in three two-thirds innings. Kyle Ryan gives up two runs while recording four outs. Dwayne Underwood Jr. gives up a run in two innings. And then John Adam was able to hold down the fort. But for the Pittsburgh Pirates, how about Chad Cool being as cool as the other side of the pill? He gives up two hits, no runs in seven innings. Jeff Hartley and Blake Cedarling come in, and they're able to hold down the fort as for the Pittsburgh Pirates. A quadrant of home runs as you wind up having the sixth home run of the campaign for Brian Reynolds. You have the seventh for Adam Frazier, eighth for Josh Bell, and ninth for Colin Moran, which is awesome. And if you're looking to be able to up your game as well, my bookie is the place to do it. As you guys know, I give out the side and total on every game every day on this podcast. And obviously, we've got more sports than baseball going on right now. The NHL Stanley Cup is in full swing. NBA postseason. Football, both NFL and college, are back into our lives. And college basketball is coming down the chute in November. So be on the lookout for all that. And the best way to get set for everything and the best way to be able to wager on it all is with my friends at MyBookie. Just type in the promo code GREG, G-R-E-G, when you make your first deposit of up to $1,000. And they will double it. Rollover does apply. But you're able to get in on all these games. You're able to get in on some player props, some parlays if you so choose. So big thanks to them. Promo code GREG for doubling your first deposit. 
and a team that wound up being able to get doubled up. That was the Atlanta Braves as they wind up losing to the Miami Marlins by a count of 4-2 for the Miami Marlins. Jesus Aguiar, his eighth home run of the campaign that came off of A.J. Munter for the Atlanta Braves. Bullpen has been very solid so far this year, but they wind up only giving up that one run over the course of three and a third innings. As it was errors that really did in the Atlanta Braves in this one. How about a grand total of four errors in this one? Dansby Swanson, Ozzy Albies, Denny Echeverria all left this game with two errors after they entered with zero or one. For Ian Anderson, Tough luck here. He winds up giving up three unearned runs in five and two-thirds innings. You have Minter give up that home run of the bullpen, and that did in the Braves, who went one of ten with runners in scoring position, stranding 11 men on base for the Miami Marlins. A terrific start from Pablo Lopez. This is a game that was affected by rain, which could explain why the Marlins themselves went 2-0-14 with men in scoring position. Now, I will say, I always thought the Marlins liked the rain, but with that said, they wind up being able to get Brad Boxberger out of the bullpen, and he didn't necessarily do great. He gave up two runs without recording an out, but Brandon Kitzler, two-out save to be able to get the Miami Marlins a victory. They should be good for the postseason. The Baltimore Orioles and the Boston Red Sox will not be going to the postseason, but for the Orioles, they took it to the Boston Red Sox. 13-1 the final. Alex Cobb, seven strong innings. He gives up one run, and then from there, you have Trey Lankins along with Sean Armstrong being able to give a scoreless inning out of the bullpen, and for the Baltimore Orioles, Jose Iglesias, the second home run of the campaign. Blake, his eighth, and Austin the Sage kid, his fourth. For the Boston Red Sox, you wind up having Zhu Wei Lin, Pitch a ninth inning for this game. He winds up giving up three runs, all of which were earned. Phillips Aldez gave up a run on the bullpen. You also had Dylan Covey pitch three innings, and that's never a good idea as he gave up three runs, all of which were earned. Domingo Tapia winds up giving up no runs in and out, but Martin Perez, probably his worst start of the year. He gives up six runs over the course of four innings. He had actually been a little bit of a bright spot for the Boston Red Sox, and for the Red Sox, their offense had been solid. They go 0-5 with runners in scoring position. Seemed to be a big theme on this Thursday, and the Blue Jays. They were able to do a good job with men in scoring position. Unlike the New York Yankees, they win by a count of 4-1. to one. For the Yankees, they strand 11 men on base, 1-7 of seven with men in scoring position. For Jordan Montgomery, he winds up giving up three runs, all of which were earned over the course of five and a third innings. Adam Montevito gives up a run on the bullpen. Chad Green, Aroldis Chapman, scoreless innings from them. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, they went 4-10 with runners in scoring position. So actually a good number. Vladito Jr., Vlad Guerrero, he winds up getting his eighth home run of the campaign. And for Anjin Rue, another great start. Seven scoreless innings. Anthony Bass was taking hook, line, and sinker for a run in this one. And Rafael Dolis has come off the injury list. He gets his fifth save of the season. The four-out variety and the Toronto, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays. Now 30-27 and 27 and conceivably could die the New York Yankees out there in the American League for that number two spot. So they are still alive there. The Cleveland Indians are certainly showing that they are alive and well in the postseason on as well as they are looking to be able to up their seating. 5-4, they take down and sweep the Chicago White Sox for the White Sox. They get a home run off the bat of Yomer Sanchez, his first of the campaign that came off of Zach Plesak. And for Dallas Keuchel, good start here. Gave up one run over the course of six innings. And then you have Jimmy Cordero give up three runs in two-thirds of an inning. Carlos Rodon came in to relieve him. Not sure why. It was his first relief appearance in 2015. And predictably, he wound up giving up a run while getting that out. Aaron Bummer winds up coming in for the eighth inning. Aaron Bummer had been on the injured list, but this is not a bum, that is for sure. And for the White Sox, four runs on four hits, they left one man on base. So they certainly did their part there. And for the Cleveland Indians, no home runs, but they were able to get many more opportunities. And for Zach Plesak, he did give up four runs in six and a third innings. But Brad Ann comes in for the save, and they were able to get four outs out of Cameron Hill to be able to bridge a gap and get the win. For the New York Mets and the Washington Nationals, a comedy of issues on offense for leaving men on base. The Mets get a 3-2 to win as David Peterson 
Good last name, good outing. He gives up one run over the course of seven innings. From there, you have Edwin Diaz along Justin Wilson give a scoreless inning. Twelve men left on base by the New York Mets, despite the fact that Robinson Jorinos wound up getting his first home run of the campaign for the Washington Nationals. They stranded six men on base, so they weren't a whole heck of a lot better for Patrick Corbin. It could have been a much worse start than what it was. Seven innings pitch, he gave up three runs, but he gave up ten hits, three walks, and he was very, very lucky to evade some danger. Kyle Finnegan, Will Harris from there, they pitch a scoreless inning, so... That was very much the theme of the day on Thursday. And what else has been a theme? Just the L.A. Dodgers winning time and time again this year. They do it once again against the Oakland A's by a count of 5-1 for the Oakland Athletics. They were able to get a Sean Murphy home run in the eighth inning off Jake McGee, his seventh of the campaign, to avoid a shutout for Mike Fires. A good start here. He gives up two runs over the course of five innings on the road against the Dodgers. But Asus Lazardo came in for long relief. I just felt like this probably rattled him a little bit. He gave up three runs of three innings. Lozardo's going to be terrific in this league. That wasn't the time and place to bring him in, though. And then for the LA Dodgers, Walker Beeler being eased back into the lineup as he's been dealing with injuries all year long. Four innings, he gave up one. It punched out six. Looked very good. Dylan Floro, Pedro Baez, Blake Dryan, Kenley Jansen, all pitched a scoreless inning. And Jake McGee gave up that solo home run. And for the Dodgers, Corey Seager winds up going deep off of Mr. Mike Straight Fires. His 15th home run of the campaign. So the Dodgers now 40 and 17. They're the number one overall seed out there in the National League. They're not the number one seed, but the Houston Astros, who wound up facing off against the Dodgers a few years ago in the postseason in the World Series, they are going to be back in the postseason 12-4. They just laid on the Texas Rangers. For Christian Javier, not a great but not a terrible start. Gives up three runs in five and two-thirds innings. Luis Garcia gives up a run in one and a third innings. Brooks Raley and Brandon Belak, a scoreless inning for the Houston Astros. A team that had scored three runs or fewer in nine out of their last 11 games. Well, they went off in this one. Josh Reddick, Jose Altuve both get their fourth home runs in campaign. George Springer is 14th, and for Alex Bregman, is fifth. For Lance Lynn, what had been a terrific season just ends in flames. Five and two-thirds innings. He gives up 10 runs, nine of which were earned. Jacked up his ERA by like a full point. Taylor Hearn winds up giving up no runs in two and a third innings. And Rafael Montero gives up two runs in an inning. But for Lance Lynn, man, that is a little bit of a damper. And the good news for the Texas Rangers, Willie Calhoun got his first home run in the campaign. Yippee-skippy for them. So... Certainly has not been a great year for them. Has not been a great year for the Royals or the Tigers, but both teams have been frisky. And for the Kansas City Royals, they get an 8-7 win over the Detroit Tigers. For the Tigres, they wind up getting a home run off the bat of Willie Castro's 6th and Miguel Cabrera's 10th. Those both came off of Chris with a K, Bubich. As it was a Bubich trip if you wound up taking the under because every one of his starts prior to this had one under. He gives up four runs, including those two home runs of four and two-thirds innings. Jake Stamont winds up giving up three runs in two-thirds of an inning, but Jesse Hahn, Jake Newberry combined for two and two-thirds innings of scoreless baseball, and Scott Barlow was able to do his job. And meanwhile, for the Kansas City Royals, Salvador Perez continues to be white hot. His 11th home run of the campaign, he's outing a 360. And then you have Mikel Franco getting his eighth home run of the campaign. As for the Detroit Tigers, Michael Fulmer once again got the open. And boy, did he open up his baseball card to having a bad ERA. 878. He gives up four runs over the course of two and a third innings. Tyler Alexander gives up one run in two and two thirds innings. And then Gregory Soto out of the bullpen. Would have been actually pretty good for this team. Gives up three runs. He records just one out. So very tough for the Detroit Tigers there. But what is not tough is listening to the dulcet tones of our good buddy Jake Hasman. He's joined me quite a few times and it's great to have him back. In the next segment, we're going to be talking about these postseason races. We're going to be talking about the New York Yankees and their chances of being able to make some noise out there in the American League and so much more. And that's on the other side right here on the Baseball Bang Podcast. Myself, Craig Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. We are back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is always great to get on this guest as this man does an absolutely terrific job 
hosting nationally for Sports Map Radio, and that would be Jake Asman. If you're looking for a show, you can hear that wherever Sports Map is available all across the country. That is from 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern Pacific Time. That is 6 to 8, as he does absolutely terrific job there. He also just does a little bit of everything when it comes to covering the Houston landscape and so much more. And you can follow Jake Asman on Twitter at Jake Asman. Last name is spelled A-S-M-A-N. Jake, always great to have you aboard. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me. Greg, my pleasure, my friend. I hope all is well. All is very well, and I know that all is now very well for your New York Yankees. It was certainly a little bit of a trying time about, I would say, as recently as three weeks ago, there was that streak in which they lost 15 out of 20 games. But would you say that right now, the way that things stand, that the Yankees and the Dodgers are the top two teams to be able to contend for the World Series? Because that's really what I thought it was coming into the year. Obviously, we had some questions when... Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and company were out of the fold, but it looks like these guys are back in full force, and it looks like this Yankees team is back with them. Yeah, I, I think it's tough to say with the Yankees just because you're really tough to say with any team because of the fact that the first rounds being, you know, a best of three, which could provide, you know, kind of a fluky team here or there. I mean, even the worst team in baseball could be the best team, you know, two out of three games. So that's kind of what concerns me, just the actual format, opening it up for, for any team really to win. If they get in and then you also, you know, have to look at the fact that it's in a bubble. There's no real home field advantage. So just how's that all going to kind of play out? So I, I think on paper, clearly the Dodgers are the best team in baseball right now. They've been the best team in baseball for basically the entire season. But then you look at a team like the Yankees, a team that was 16 and six, or are they the team, you know, that had that five and 20 stretch? Now my gut tells me they're a lot closer to that 16 and six team than the team that was five and 20. But in the playoffs, anything could happen. The good news for the Yankees is they are healthy. They have Garrett Cole pitching great again. Aaron Judge is back. DJ LeMayhew's back. John Carlos Stanton's back. We can keep going because there's been, there are just so many guys that have been on the injured list, but they are relatively speaking healthy again. And, and that's obviously huge for their chances. No question. I think the biggest question for the Yankees right now is just some of those secondary starters because you know that Masahiro Tanaka just year in and year out has been very solid in the postseason. Garrett Cole looks like he's really rounding in a form. And Garrett Cole never truly pitched bad. It just seemed like he was a little bit unlucky with hits that he was giving up flying over the fence. But we've seen Jay App really have a nice come up this year. I had a couple bad starts, as we know, in 2019. He was just giving up home runs left and right. He has been very solid. Davey Garcia has come to the forefront. What are your thoughts on these secondary starters? Like Jordan Montgomery, you wound up pitching on Thursday along with Garcia and Happ because I feel like these guys are the keys to the Yankees making a run. Yeah, there's no doubt. You're right. You, you feel good about Garrett Cole. You feel great when it comes to you know Masahiro Tanaka and his ability to pitch well in the playoffs, as you mentioned. And it just comes down to, well, who's going to be you know, the number three, number four guy? To me, if they get to the best of three in that first round and they need to go to a game three starter, the guy I trust is probably Davey Garcia. He might be 21 years old, but I just love his moxie on the mound, his competitiveness. He doesn't pitch like a guy that's in over his head. I think he could be the guy that could really emerge. And I'll give a lot of credit to Jay Happ because he was absolutely terrible to begin this year. And Yankee fans were down on him to begin with after how poorly he pitched last year after getting the contract. But he's been really good in his last five or six starts. His ERA is low. And, you know, if it comes down to it, he's going to have to play a role because there's no off days. You know, once you start the divisional round all the way through, you know, the ALCS. So you're going to need to be asking guys to go out there and give you some length. And you can't just pitch your top bullpen relievers day after day after day because you don't have an off day. So Garcia, Hap, 
Jordan Montgomery. They're all pitching a lot better than they were during that 5-20 and 20 abysmal stretch, and they're all going to be really important arms for this Yankees team if they're going to take a step forward and win a championship. I think Bill Belichick wound up coming up with the postseason this year for MLB because there is no day's office. We do have Jake Asman joining me right here on the podcast. And Jake, obviously, when it comes to the postseason, we relatively know what we're going to be getting in the American League. But the National League is really the big question mark as we're doing this. The games for Thursday have yet to go final. But you've got the Milwaukee Birds, the San Francisco Giants, Philadelphia Phillies, St. Louis Cardinals, and Cincinnati Reds all vying for essentially three playoff spots because you got to figure that at least one of those teams between the Reds, Cardinals, and Brewers are going to get that two seed. And then it becomes just a free-for-all between the rest of the teams for those two wild card spots. How do you really look at this one? Because I do think that whoever takes three of five between the Cardinals and the Brewers, they will find their way in somehow, some way. And I think that the real wild card in all of this is just how the Philadelphia Phillies play because I think it was surprising to a lot of people the losing streak that they went on, losing a pair of games to the Washington Nationals in that double dip earlier in the week has really put them behind the eight ball a little bit. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy kind of what's happened, you know, with the National League. It could come down realistically to Sunday. You know, that's the type of finish we're getting. You know, I, I, I thought what the Reds did last night with Trevor Bauer was just sensational on short days rest to go out there and pitch as well as he did. You know, that's a guy who's about to be a free agent who really just willed his team an unbelievable performance. So, you know, this is going to come down to the stretch. I mean, the Marlins finish up strong. They could get in, but they play the, the, the Yankees this weekend, so that might be tough. Although I don't know if the Yankees are really going to be all in to try and win these games this weekend. They're kind of locked into that two seed most likely, and they're not going to pitch Cole or Tanaka because they need them ready for the first round series. So the Marlins might have a path. Uh, to victory there. You wonder you know, about the Philadelphia Phillies and whether or not their bullpen could hold up for a weekend to give them an opportunity. There's just so much uncertainty with these final few spots. I think it comes down to what happens on Sunday. I agree with you. This is going to be just so exciting to see what happens over the weekend. In the case of myself being someone that is a native of the state of Wisconsin, certainly pulling for the Milwaukee Brewers to be able to get an opportunity. And then from there, anything can happen. And I know that you're out there in the city of Houston and what else is, I think, very fascinating is that it looks like the Houston Astros going to be able to make the postseason. I think that things are pretty sewn up there just because the strength of the Hale Central, not or the strength of the AL West, not quite what you'd want it to be. But there certainly is a lot of concerns for the Houston Astros going into Thursday. The team that scored three runs or fewer, nine out of their last 11 games. It's one of those things where I feel like all those that were making the memes about the trash cans and everything like that, they're feeling very proud of themselves. But what have you seen out of the Houston Astros? Just because even with everything that's going on this year, you just wouldn't expect a team like this to fall this far from grace when it comes to being able to drive men in. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, offensively, they've just been a shell of the team that we've seen the last couple of years. So they open themselves up to plenty of cheating jokes because that's just how it goes. <laughs> yeah. But the reality is for this Astros team, they've been banged up at times this year. Obviously, Altuve has just been terrible. And, you know, you do wonder with the fact that he's played so many games and he's a smaller guy, is his body kind of just breaking down? I mean, he's making lapses in the field defensively as well. So I think part of it's mental in addition to maybe some of the physical decline with Jose Altuve. Bregman served a lot of time on the injured list. Correa has been banged up at times, even though when he's been out there, He's been pretty consistent, and I do think even though the cheating scandal played out the way it did and there's no fans in the stands, I do think that's kind of weighing on this team. Their bullpen is a shell of what it's been because of all the injuries. They lost Roberto Osuna, their closer, for the season, so everyone's kind of had to move up a bit, and that's affected them. 
And, you know, you look at this rotation. Zach Greinke's getting up there in age. He's been good. He has not been great. You lose Verlander for the season after one start in July. You lost Garrett Cole in free agency. So I think realistically, this team was probably due to take a step back. Then you factor in some of the injuries and their lack of depth that they just don't have anymore. And I think it's kind of understandable why they're a 500 team right now. Yeah, it's been very shocking to see what's happened to Zach Greinke as well. As you take a look at each out of his last seven start, he has allowed at least three runs. Now, I will say he's given up more than three in just two of those seven starts. But man, not the guy that we're used to seeing as we do have Jake Asman joining me on the podcast. And then in the American League in general, I certainly do think that the Yankees are probably that number one team, in my opinion. But I feel like there's a lot more parity out there in the American League than in the National League. You did mention it with the fact that we are going to have three-game series. So, I mean, it just makes a big, giant free-for-all. But I think that there's a lot of intrigue when it comes to what you're going to be able to get out of these Chicago White Sox. The Cleveland Indians have been absolutely terrible on offense, but we've seen them turn it on a little bit the last couple days. If they can even get league average offense with that pitching staff, who knows how far they're going to be able to go. You've got the Tampa Bay Rays, a team that I feel like they can win against anyone on any given day. And we've also seen them getting swept by like the Baltimore Orioles this year and everything like that. And I do think that the American League is certainly going to be a little bit more, I guess you could call it tenuous, and it's going to be Certainly a little bit more intriguing than the National League when it comes to the top, just because when it comes to the difference between one through eight in the American League versus the National League, I feel like the gap is much more thin. I'm with you. And you look at the Indians. They trade away Clevenger, and they don't even need them with how deep they are pitching-wise. And if you go back you know, to you know, just the last couple of years, the different guys that they have been able to move and still just have some unbelievable starters, it's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. I mean, Shane Bieber might win the Cy Young this year, Carlos Carrasco, Zach Plesak. They're certainly set up at the top of their rotation, but you mentioned it. Offensively, are they going to be able to score enough runs? In theory, their lineup should be producing, you know, more than it's doing. But other than Jose Ramirez, who very well might win the MVP with how well he's played of late, they're going to need to get some production from some other guys as well. And listen, it's the playoffs in a bubble. It's an absolute crapshoot. I think the Indians have a great chance to win the World Series. I also, Greg, if you told me they got beat in the first round, I wouldn't be surprised. I think that's kind of, you know, what we're looking at with the baseball playoffs. Oh, I'm right there with you because with the Cleveland Indians, they could very well just win a whole bunch of games two to one, and they could lose a whole bunch of games two to one with the only run being like a Jose Ramirez solo home run. So I do think that that's very intriguing. And then when it does come to the postseason, we've talked about some of the teams that are right there on the bubble in the National League. Obviously, the American League is going to be very exciting, but is there a team or two that you think could sneak up and maybe be able to make a little bit of a run that some people aren't expecting? I think that this is a format that certainly is going to lend itself to some upsets because typically in a normal baseball year, you have 162 games. You've got only 10 total teams that make the postseason. It is now expanded and it's just one of these things in which I feel like on any given day, a team could seek up. Is there one team in particular that you think might have a good opportunity to do it with this format? Yeah, I don't love the format in general because I just think there's 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 so much randomness to it. And what really concerns me, Greg, is just you know, keep it this long term, right? I just think if you're going to play 162 games, you can't have, you know, eight teams in each league making the playoffs. I think the teams that still have great bullpens are going to be able to have success here because I think ultimately, yes, there's no off days, but if your starter is getting beat, you're not going to just leave them in there because you know that, oh, well, you know, we, we have to leave them in there because we can't use our bullpen. If your season's on the line, that's going to change. So I think teams still with good bullpens are going to be in a favorable spot. And the teams that are just based in just talent, I think if they could survive the best of three, 
when you start talking about a best of five without home field advantage and then get to the best of seven, I think the better teams from that point will be able to win. I just think getting to that point where as long as the Dodgers or the Yankees, let's say, you know, can get to the best of seven rounds, I think that bodes well for them. But getting there is going to be the biggest challenge. I totally agree with you. I, mean, I was talking about this with our good buddy Jeff Parles on the podcast yesterday. Just imagine if you do have calamity out there in the National League postseason and you have like the Dodgers versus the Brewers at a 1-8 matchup and then you have the Padres versus the Marlins at a 4-5 and the Marlins wind up facing off against the Brewers in the second round of the postseason. That would be an absolute calamity for MLB ratings. I mean, that certainly wouldn't be exactly what they had in mind. So that is something that I'm certainly going to be watching for and something that I'm always watching and listening for. Your great work, Jake. You do a terrific job out there with Sports Map Radio every Monday through Friday. People are able to hear you in the morning. You do drive time out there on the East Coast. More wake-up time out here on the West Coast. So let the good people at home know where they are. Both follow you on social media and just what you're doing on the show in general. Yeah, thanks so much, Greg. So the show is Monday through Friday, as you mentioned, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time, and it's a national sports radio show syndicated in a bunch of different markets throughout the country and we talk basketball we talk football we talk baseball talk college football we talk about everything happening in the world of sports each and every morning and have some fun definitely don't take ourselves too seriously that is always great and jake runs an absolutely tremendous show out there with sports map radio so big thanks to jake asman for joining me right here on the baseball betting podcast coming up next it is that time that i give you sign total on every game on the friday mlb betting board and something you like to call touch them all Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. A big thanks to Jake Asman doing terrific work out there with Sports Map Radio, which is based out there in the lovely city of Houston, Texas, for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the Friday MLB betting board and something I like to call... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. As per usual, do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GRSCordy1. Got a couple doubleheaders that are going to be taking place on Friday as of right now. Pretty much no numbers on any of those games, so I will do my best with those. And as per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, and this is going to begin with 901-902 on the betting board. The New York Metropolitans hit the road to face off against the Washington Nationals. Man back Scherzer is going to be going for the Nets. Meanwhile, Rick Porcello is on the bump for the New York Metropolitans. If you're looking at this total, it is between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 8.5, over is juice minus 115, under is minus 105. On the 9, under is minus 115, over is minus 105. With the Nationals, you're laying anywhere between minus 150 and minus 160. With the Mets, anywhere between plus 135 and plus 145 is your price there. For the Mets, they certainly have been able to do a great job of being able to get the ball in play and being able to drive in some runs. They certainly didn't necessarily do the best job with men in scoring position on Thursday, but they were able to do just enough to get the job done despite leaving 12 men on base. As you've got Jeff McDeal, Dom Smith, along with Robinson Cano, all in above a 300 for this team, and then Brandon Nimmo has an on-base percentage above a 400. You've been able to get Pete Alonso going with some power, but the 211 average has left something to be desired. But guys like Andres Jimenez, Amit Rosario, Todd Frazier. These guys have been able to hit between a 242 and in the case of Jimenez up to a 265 and for the Washington Nationals similar story for them. Some very good batting averages as you've got 
quite a few guys, and Trey Turner down for what? Jake Knoll, Juan Soto, who's an MVP candidate despite being on such a bad team, Andrew Stevenson, all hitting a 333 or higher, and pretty much everyone except for Knoll with an on base above a 390. But what has really been the issue for this team is driving men in, 2 of 9 with men in scoring position once again yesterday. Victor Robles, Eric Thames, Michael A. Taylor, these guys are in a 225 or lower. That's really killed them as bottom of the lineup has not held up there into the bargain. Josh Harrison, though, he's hitting right around at 270. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Yon Gomes and Kurt Suzuki at the catcher spot. Luis Garcia has been good, and I will say this for Max Scherzer. He certainly is still getting swings and misses. That is not a question with him. He is still getting well over 11 strikeouts per nine innings. Just seems like he sort of wanes towards like the fifth and sixth innings. And that means that you have to rely upon a Nats bullpen of guys like Kyle Finnegan, Wander, I swear, oh, this guy sucks. Danny Hudson, who's been absolutely terrible this year. And for the New York Mets, it is big that you had to use up Edwin Diaz on Thursday, so he's not going to be available. Now, I will say Miguel Castro, Jurisic Familia, Jason Shreve have been pretty solid for the team. And I do think that Rick Purcell is going to be halfway decent here with Rick Purcell. He actually throughout his career has been all right against Washington Nationals. Not great, not awful. And ever since, just an absolutely atrocious start to the year. He's been okay. 51 strikeouts and 56 innings. He's only given up 14 walks and 4 home runs, and yet as a 546 ERA. So I do think actually a little bit of regression is going to be coming here for Max Scherzer. 21 walks and 61 in the third innings, but I do think that both of these veterans are going to be able to pitch well. I'm going to be taking this total under. I think that in the end, Max Scherzer, who might be in one of his last seasons, I'm not saying this is going to be his last year, but I'm saying that he's getting down to the end of it at 36. Is certainly going to want to close out the year on a high note, so we're going to be going with the Nets along with that total under. We move on to 903-904 on the betting board. This is a game that is off the board between the Baltimore Orioles and the Toronto AK Buffalo Blue Jays. You've got Tywin Walker who's going to be on the bump for the Blue Jays. And then it is going to be Mr. Ode Lopez going for the Baltimore Orioles. It certainly has been an interesting last couple days for them. They wind up losing 10-1 two days ago, and then they wind up winning 13-1 yesterday. That's just the way that things have been going for Baltimore all year long. And what's big for the team is that they've got a few good pieces back in the fold for this team. You've got Ryan Mountcastle at 3.25, Jose Iglesias at 3.73, and Mr. Ramon Orias a 4.12. They also get back answer Alberto Pavleka and Austin Sejas. All these guys are hitting a 275 or higher. This team doesn't necessarily walk a lot. They're in the bottom five of the big leagues with that regard. So we've seen guys like Pedro Severino, Cedric Ballins go back to the back and Anthony Santander not being in the fold has certainly hurt this team a little bit. But then you take a look at the other side for the Toronto AK Buffalo Blue Jays. They've been playing really all or nothing games at home. One night you're going to see like an outrageous 13 to 3 game. And then you'll see something like Thursday where it's 4 to 1. It all just depends on whether you get a fly ball pitcher or not with Mr. Lopez. I think that he has. But Taiwan Walker has actually been able to do a pretty solid job for this team, and he's backed up by a lineup that they're doing a great job of putting back to ball. As you've got Kevon Biggio sitting more around a 250, but a 373 on base, so he's been doing solid there. Bo Bichette along to Oscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel, in between a 297 and a 307, and for Hernandez, he has been able to do a good job with 14 plus home runs, 345 on base. Alejandro Kirk has been able to come to the forefront for this team. He had a 4 8 game against the New York Yankees in their previous series. He's hitting a 381 for the year. Now, Danny Jansen, Reese McGuire, even though Jansen had a couple of home runs in that series against the Yankees, he hasn't necessarily come to the forefront. But you do have to like that Fly Guerrero Jr. has been closing out the year quite well for the Blue Jays. The bullpen has not been what it was at the beginning of the year with guys like A.J. Cole, Anthony Bass, and company falling back to the pack a little bit. But I do like what I'm seeing out of Walker. Now, in one of his live starts against the Yankees, he did wind up giving up seven runs. But 
only one of which was earned. I mean, you just had some terrible fielding out there with Derek Fisher. No, not the former NBA player, but I think that the former NBA player could have done a better job out there in the outfield. But you take a look at it, he has given up a combined four earned runs in five starts. So, I mean, this guy has been lights out. Last time he faced off against the Baltimore Orioles, six strong of scoreless baseball out there in Buffalo. For Mr. Lopez, he's actually pitched a little bit better. He's got right now a 5'11 ERA. He has given up three runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts. So... That is certainly very positive, and I also do like the fact that he has given up two walks or fewer in each out of his last four starts as well. So this is a spot in which if you're seeing a double-digit total, I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the under. Going to be riding out the Toronto Blue Jays here, unless if the price is like Baltimore plus $2 or north of that. I mean, this is a Toronto team that they still got quite a bit to play for. They're probably going to be making the postseason, but you got to think that they want to help themselves out as much as possible. Young team that wants to go into the postseason hot. So going to be probably looking at the Blue Jays and a double-digit total under, but check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41. 905-906 on the betting board is up next. The Tampa Bay Hot Shell Rays are going to be playing with the Philadelphia Phillies. Vince Velasquez goes for the Phillies. Meanwhile, Charlie Morton goes for the Rays. Tallens games 8.5 with the 8.5 over anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at the Rays, laying anywhere between minus 160 and minus 170. Plus price here with the Philadelphia Phillies. Anywhere between plus 145 and plus 155. For Vince Velasquez, his last start was Certainly his best of the year as he winds up, I believe, giving up zero runs in six plus innings. And he's been doing a good job getting swings and misses. 40 punch outs in 29 and two thirds innings. That last start against the Toronto AK Buffalo Blue Jays. He did give up one run, but it was over the course of two hits. He's only given up one home run in his last three starts, last four total appearances. So that's actually been quite positive for him. But I did think that he is doing for a little bit of regression. The 15 walks in 29 and two thirds innings, not necessarily ideal. And for Charlie Morton, he's just not what he was during the 2019 season. This is someone that has given up at least three runs in two out of his last three starts. So that has been a little bit of an issue. The swings and misses just aren't where they were last year. 34 strikeouts cuts to 33 innings. Last year, he was getting more like 11 punch outs per nine innings. The nine walks certainly are not bad. And he's going to be backed up by a much better bullpen for the Philadelphia Phillies. Despite bringing in guys like Keith Embry, Brandon Workman and company, their bullpen has not been good. But I will say this for the Tampa Bay Rays. They've been just selective with regards to their hitting. You've got a couple guys who are doing a good job of getting on base. Joey Wendell. Brandon Lau, Randy Arozarena, and Manuel Margot, all in between a 270 and a 281. So they've been able to do a little bit of something. Willie Adamas along Joy Wendell are in between a 250 and a 260, but then you get Brett Phillips, Michael Perez, Mike Zanino, Hunter Renfro, Kevin Kiermeyer, Yoshi Satsugo, all hitting for this team a 221 or lower, and the only one that's hitting above a 200 out of that list is Kevin Kiermaier, and he does have a 329 base, and Yoshi Satsugo has been able to draw some walks, but certainly has been a little bit of an issue for this team, especially with Lau really being the only guy that's going to be in double digits when it comes to home runs. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. They are getting healthier at the right time, and that's big because they are still fighting for a postseason berth. You've got JTB Mito who's been able to give the team a double-digit amount of home runs. He's got an on-base percentage right around a 355. Alec Baum has been the bomb. 333 average, Hitting above a 400 with regards to the on base. And then you've got in there and there. Hutchin is hitting more around at 250. Gene Segura has been able to emerge. He's hitting at 272. Bryce Harper north of a 4 on base as well. We all know what he's capable of. Austin Knapp has been doing a good job at the catcher's spot. Scott Kingery after just an absolutely terrible start to the year. He's been able to give this team a little bit of something. Reese Hoskins has been out full, but the offense has still been good. The pitching, it's just a big giant question mark, and I do think that the Rays should be able to win this game. They should be able to win it handily, just because I think that Morton's going to come out and give a good start. I think that this is just a spot in which bad Vlad 
Vasquez winds up showing up. So I'm going to be taking the run line here with the Rays. Seeing that more round plus 105. If you're lucky, a plus 110. And I'm going to be taking this total over as well as we move on to 907-908 on the betting board. That is the Miami Marlins sitting the road face off against the New York Yankees. J.A. Ray is going to be going for the Yankees. Meanwhile, Sandy Alcantara is going to be going for the Marlins. If you like the fish, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 175 and plus 180. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Yankees, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 190 and seeing as high as minus 210. On this game is 9.5. Under is just a minus 120. The over is even. And with the New York Yankees, this is a bunch that had a little bit more of trials and tribulations against the Buffalo Blue Jays than they did last week. But how about how good Jay App has been recently? He has given up seven home runs in 44 innings so far this year. But you take a look at his last five starts. He has given up more than two runs in just one of them. Completed five full innings in every one of them. Six plus in three of them. That has been huge. And he's gotten at least nine strikeouts to two out of his last three starts. I mean, this is someone that is starting to find the fountain of youth at age 37. He's backed up by guys like Adam Adovino, Aroldis Chapman, some very good bullpen pieces. But Sandy Alcantara, after beginning the year dealing with COVID, he's looked much better as well. He has given up three earned runs or fewer in each out of his last four starts. Approximately one run in three of those as well. So he's been able to do a solid job completing at least six innings in each out of his last four starts. He has been able to do a very good job of holding down the fort for this team as he has given up only four home runs at 34 and two-thirds innings. As we know, this is a Yankees team that all of a sudden they're getting all their big pieces back. You've certainly been able to get something out of Aaron Judge, whenever he's been fully healthy, you can tell that he's not quite there and he's been in and out of the fold along with John Carlos Stanton. But you do have to like the fact that Luke Voigt has 21 home runs so far this year. DJ LeMay, who is hitting a 355 GR shell, is back. He's hitting above a 300. Clint Frazier has been amazing, 400 on base percentage. But then Brett Gardner, Gary Sanchez, Aaron Hicks, these guys are hitting a 225 or lower. So you do have a couple of issues there. When you take a look at the Miami Marlins, this is a team that has been surprisingly very good on offense. They've got a bullpen of guys like Yimi Garcia, Brandon Kinsler, not necessarily great pieces, but they're solid guys. And Miguel Rojas hitting a 308 with a four-hour base has really been able to buoy this team. He's been just absolutely terrific. Brad Anderson, Lewis Brinson, Corey Dickerson, they have been consistent, hitting between a 255 and a 260, with John Birdie hitting more around a 265. And then you've got the Marte Partes, Darling Marte, Jesus Aguiar, Mangelius Sierra. And Garrett Cooper hitting between a 275 and a 288. So they certainly have been able to do a solid job. You've got Matt Joyce, a little bit of a veteran presence with a 345 on base. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. I do like both of these bullpens with the Yankees. They have a lot of their pieces back. You can tell that they're sort of being eased back, and you can tell that they're still a little bit banged up. I think that this is going to be a good spot for Alcantara to be able to give a very nice start and be able to get an upset win for a Marlins team that is still looking to help out their seating a little bit. So we're going to be going with the plus price here with the fish, and we're going to be going with the total under. 909-910 on the betting board is up next. The Cleveland Indians, a.k.a. the Windians, are going to be playing us the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mitch Thunder Keller goes for the Pirates. Meanwhile, Carlos Carrasco is going to be on the bump for the Cleveland Indians, who are, as far as I'm seeing, the biggest favorite out there on the board. You're finding them anywhere between minus 250 and minus 270. Your plus price here with the Poopy Pirates, anywhere between plus 215 Seeing as high as a plus 235 totals range of between 7.5 and 8. On the 7.5 overs, anywhere between minus 115, minus 125. Unders, anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. And we've got 8s out there as well with the under, anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The overs, anywhere between even and minus 105. And for Mitch Keller, he's coming off a start in which he went six hitless innings against these St. Louis Cardinals. 
the bullpen and then wound up pooping the bed on him. But with that said, for Keller, he was a highly rated prospect in the Pittsburgh Pirates system during the 2019 season. He's finally been able to put it together. Now, the four home runs give it up in 16 and two-thirds innings and the 10 walks, not necessarily terrific, but he's done a much better job recently. You take a look at that last start. It was very solid. And then he wound up going up against the Chicago Cubs and he wound up only going two and two-thirds innings, but he was able to limit the damage there as well. He has gotten 10 punch outs in his last nine innings as well, so I do think that there's a little bit of something to be had here. Meanwhile, for Carrasco, he has had a lot of his home starts wind up going over. I believe all but one of them, but with that said, it hasn't necessarily been his fault. He has given up a combined five earned runs in his last five starts, going six plus innings in every one of them. He always has been someone in which you fear the deep ball with him a little bit, but he's only given up seven home runs in 62 innings. Uh, 24 walks, still a little bit high, but he has been a rock for this team, but you take a look at this Cleveland Indians lineup. They are starting to come to life a little bit more. They put up at least five runs on the board in three out of their last four games, so you're getting a little bit of something going there, and a big reason why, as we know, Jose Ramirez. This guy has been absolutely amazing. 17 home runs, 292 batting average, 384 on base. And then Cesar Hernandez has come along for the ride. Ian Framil Reyes in between a 275 and a 285. Francisco Lindor hitting more than anybody a 265. What are you going to be able to get out of some of these other guys though? Josh Naylor along with Mike Freeman, Delano DeShields Jr. These guys are in between a 244 and a 250. But then you've got Roberto Perez, Sandy Leon, Oscar Mercado, Austin Hedges, Jordan Luplo, Carlos Santana. All hitting below a 200, though I will say for Carlos Santana. Towards the top of the league when it comes to walks, 344 on base. When you take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates, this is a team that they're very anemic on offense, and that's putting it very politely. But they might be playing with a little bit of confidence. They wind up sweeping the Chicago Cubs, scoring more than three runs just once in those final three games. It was a four-game set. They took the final three, so my mistake there. But when you take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates, not a lot of offense, but they do have someone very promising in Brian Hayes. He was one of the top prospects going into the year, and he's lived up to it. 395 on base, 329 batting average. He has been absolutely terrific. Now, Josh Bell is starting to get things going a little bit. He had 115 RBI during the 2019 season, 21 here in 2020, but he's hitting at 223. You've got Adam Frazier hitting in that neighborhood as well. And then Brian Reynolds along with John Ryan Murphy, Jared Oliva, JT Riddle, and among so many others like Gregory Polanco are hitting below a 200. It's been tough. Colin Moran's hitting at 255. He's given the team a little bit of something, but this is a lineup that you can't necessarily trust. But I will say Nick Tropiano, if he needs to come in for long relief for Mitch Keller, he has been good. Richard Rodriguez has been solid out of the bullpen. And for the Cleveland Indians, James Karinczak, after being tremendous out of the bullpen to begin the year, he's fallen back to earth a little bit. Phil Maton has been hit around a little bit as well. I think that this is going to be a very low-scoring game. I'm going to wind up taking this total under, but I think that the Pirates, buying a resurgent Mitch Keller that has a lot to prove going into this offseason, are going to be able to pick up the W. So we're going to be going with the Pirates and this total under. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board is up next. Boston Red Sox hit the road face off against the Atlanta Bravos. Kyle Wright goes for the Bravos. Meanwhile, you've got Chris Meza, who's going to be on the bump for the Boston Red Sox. Your total on scheme ranging between 10 and 10 and a half. On the 10, over is juice of minus 125. The under is plus 105. And most of these numbers have went to 10 and a half after it opened up at 10 with the 10 and a half. The over and under are anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. If you're taking a look at the Boston Red Sox, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 130 and plus 145. If you're looking to lay it with our good buddies, the Atlanta Braves, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 145 and seeing as high as minus 160. 
for the Boston Red Sox. It has been a no good, very bad, terrible, terrible year. But I will say this. If you're looking at someone that might be a little bit promising, it's been Mazza. 540 ERA doesn't sound great, but he's given up two home runs in 25 innings. He's had to face off against the New York Yankees a couple times. In the starter role, he's actually been significantly better than he has been in relief as well. So there is a little bit of something when it comes to that regard. Certainly, you're looking for anything whatsoever if you're the Boston Red Sox. Phillips Valdez has been okay out of the bullpen. It has been a horse apiece situation. But then you take a look at the Atlanta Braves. This is a team that they're going to be sort of, I guess you could call it, out of flux a little bit because there was a rain delay for their game yesterday, two days ago. Max Fried winds up going one inning, so that badly tags the bullpen. So that means that A.J. Minter, Josh Shomlin, probably not going to be in the fold for this team, not with the Atlanta Braves. No doubt this is a team that's doing a great job of putting back to Baltra. Travis no Marcel Ozuna along Freddie Freeman, all hitting a 323 or higher. And Freddie Freeman, a 456 on base. I mean, that is absolutely ridiculous. And you got to think that they're going to avenge the fact that they left a 11 men on base yesterday in the two, past two weeks. I think that they've left 10 plus men on base four times, but you've got Ronald Acuna Jr. for 11 on base for the team. Ozzy Albies is now hitting right around a 285 to a 290 to NB Swanson, a 275 to Danny Hetcheveria, along with Nick Marcakis hitting between a 255 and a 245 along to Adam Duvall, who's got 16 plus home runs. But then you take a look at the Boston Red Sox. Alex Verdugo has really gotten things going. 323 batting average, 381 on base. Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts, Bobby Dahlbeck. These guys are in between a 265 and a 280 themselves. Kevin Pulaki, when he's been out there in the fold, he's been able to give this team a little bit of something as well. J.D. Martinez, Michael Chavis, these guys are having seasons to forget. They're both hitting below a 220, but Christian Arroyo has emerged with a 275 batting average. This might be one of the final games for Jackie Bradley Jr. in a Boston Red Sox uniform, so he's going to come out with a little bit of fire as well given his tenure with this program. I do think that this is certainly going to be a spot in which we're going to see a bunch of runs. I will say for Kyle Wright, his last two starts have been his best two starts. He winds up giving up four runs, three of which were in six innings against Washington Nationals. And then he winds up going six and a third, giving up one in and no runs against the New York Mets. I think regression is going to be finding itself as he had given up three plus runs at all, but one of his other starts going into that stretch. He has given up six home runs and 21 walks in 31 and a third innings. And with a little bit of a depleted Atlanta Braves bullpen given the last couple days, I think that the Boston Red Sox are going to be able to pull out a higher scoring game. So we're going to be going with this total over and we're going to be riding with the Sox. 9-13, 9-14 on the betting board is up next. The Walker, Texas Rangers are going to be playing us the Houston Astros. Jose Urquidy is going to be going for the Strohs. Meanwhile, you've got Kyle Cody on the bump for the Texas Rangers. Your total on this game is 8.5 with the over anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even a minus 110. If you're taking a look at the Houston Astros, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 165 and minus 180. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Walker Texas Rangers, anywhere between plus 150 and plus 165. All I have to say about the Texas Rangers is I'm going to quote the great Oscar the Grouch. I love it because it's trash. That's exactly what this team is right now. Now, I will say for Kyle Cody, buck 53 ERA so far this year. With that said, it's been over the course of four starts, seven total appearances. He went north of three innings for the first time in his last start against the Angels. Gave up one run, so that was rock solid. He wasn't necessarily terrific at the minors, though. And I do think that the Houston Astros are starting to finally get a little bit of something. And for Jose Urquidy, he has come off of, I believe it was, COVID-19. And he's given up two runs or fewer in each out of his four starts. He has been giving up a couple too many walks. Eight of them in 22 and two-thirds innings. But he's kept the ball in the yard, giving up just two home runs. He doesn't necessarily have great swing and miss stuff, but... He's gone up against the Texas Rangers lineup that is producing the fewest runs per game out there in the American League. I mean, it's just been absolutely terrible what this team has been able to generate. You take a look at it. Leotis Tavares is hitting a 229, and then you've got Chattel Espatel along with Jeff Mathis. 
Rudnett Odor, Joey Gallo, the done for the year Elvis Andrews, Willie Calhoun, all inning a buck 93 or lower. Isaiah Kinnear Falefa has been able to give this team a 285. Nick Solak more around a 260. And Ronald Guzman, ever since coming off the injury list, has been okay. But man, it's brutal. I'm for the Houston Astros. Gotta try to think that they're gonna try to get as much momentum as humanly possible going into the postseason. Michael Brantley sitting above a three iron. Alex Bregman along with Carlos Correa and Kyle Tucker in between a 254 and a 266. Yoli Goriel owing a 235. And Jose Altuve is hitting a 225. But with that said, you have been able to get a double-digit amount of home runs out of George Springer. Is now hitting right around a 265. You've been able to get a little bit of something towards the bottom of the lineup when it comes to on-base percentage in Martin Maldonado. He's only hitting right around a 230, but on-base is north of a 350. Dustin Garneau, whenever he's in for him, has been absolutely terrible, but Josh Reddick is okay as well. I do think that this is a Texas Rangers bullpen that is starting to find itself a little bit more. Guys like Jesse Chavez and company, not necessarily terrific, and for the Houston Astros, somehow, someway, guys like Andre Scrub and company have been able to do a good job for the team, so I am going to take this little under, but I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the Houston Astros here. I'm going to take them on the money line since they've scored three runs or fewer, and now nine out of their last 12 games, so I do think that there is a lot of risk when it comes to the run line there, so going to be going with the Astros and this little under 915-916 on the betting board is up next. You've got yourself the Detroit Tigers, and they are hitting the road face-off against the Kansas City Royals. Brad Thunderkeller is going to be going for the Royals. Meanwhile, one Spencer Turnbull is going to be on the pump for the Detroit Tigres. If you're taking a look at the Tigers in this spot, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 135 and plus 140. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Kansas City Royals, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 145 and minus 152 with your total of 8.5. On the total of 8.5, the over and under are anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. For Keller, he's done an absolutely amazing job of keeping the ball in the yard. He's given up two home runs in 48 and two-thirds innings, but then you take a look at Spencer Turnbull. 52 innings, and he's given up two home runs. I will say for Turnbull, the 27 walks are a little bit unsightly, and this is my New York Post play of the day as I took this total under, but you just take a look at what you've been able to get out of Brad Keller at home. It has been pretty darn significant. 0.33 ERA in four starts. You've got to think that there's going to be a little bit of regression to this. In 27 innings, he's given up one run, seven walks, 18 strikeouts to 27 innings. With how few strikeouts he does get, I do think that the Detroit Tigers have a little bit of something here. And for the Detroit Tigers, this is all of a sudden a lineup that is starting to get going. They have scored at least four runs in each out of their last five games. So I actually do like what they're doing right now. This is a young team that they don't know that they're out of the postseason race. As you've got Willie Castro, who's sitting at 350 victory. Reyes at 285. Harold Castro along with Jameer Candelario hitting a 297 plus for this team. Now Austin Romine's only hitting a 238 along with Isaac Paredes who's hitting more around a 230 but Miguel Cabrera had that two home run game with six RBI against the Minnesota Twins a couple days ago. This is a team that they're getting a lot of something out of many of their younger guys. Nico Goodrum, Brandon Dixon, Des Cameron not rotolding as they're hitting below the Mendoza line but then you take a look at the Kansas City Royals. Gotta think that they want to try to build some upward momentum going into next season as you got Jorge Soler along with Adelberto Mondesi, Franchi Cordero, all in between a 219 and a 230, Alex Gordon, Nicky Lopez, Nick Heath, batting average of 215 or lower themselves. But then you've got Whit Merrifield hitting a 280, Mikel Franco a 285, and Salvador Perez, 360 batting average, 11 home runs. He has been absolutely tremendous for this team, so I like what he's bringing to the table. And for the Kansas City Royals, the bullpen has been pretty solid. Now, you did have to use up Jake Stamont, Jake Newberry, Jesse Hans, Scott Barlow, but you're going to have Greg Holland available. And for the Detroit Tigers, the bullpen has, on paper, not necessarily been terrific, but a lot of that is because Michael Fulmer comes out there and he gives two and a third innings, and that means congratulations to the bullpen. You're going to be going six innings tonight. The good news is Daniel Norris, unlike 
like normal Michael Fulmer opens was not used up. Instead, they went with Tyler Alexander. Gregory Soto wound up getting used up, but you got to think that someone like a Kyle Funkhauser is going to be available for this team. You're also going to have Jose Cicerno as well, so I do think that that's a big advantage. I do think that a little bit of regression is going to be setting in for a guy in Brad Keller that does a good job of inducing soft contact, but is going up against a white IT trade Tigers lineup. I do think that you're going to get another good start out of Spencer Turnbull. The walks have been an issue, but still at 383 ERA, he's really been by far the best starter for the Detroit Tigers. So I'm going to wind up taking this total under, and I'm going to be taking the plus price here with the Detroit Tigers. 917, 918 on the betting board is up next. Battle for the Chicagoland area. Dylan Cease is going to be going for the home Chicago White Sox. Meanwhile, you Darvish is going to be going for the road Chicago Cubbies. Your total on this game is between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8.5, your total of the under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. On the 8s, you've got the over of juice of minus 120, and the under is even. If you're looking at the Cubs, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 142 and minus 150. Plus price with the Southsiders, anywhere between plus 130 and plus 138. And I just can't trust in Dylan Cease in this spot. With Dylan Cease, he's got a fielding independent that's like two and a half points higher than his ERA. He has been so lucky and he finally got hit around a little bit against these Cincinnati Reds. He was pulled before any massive damage wound up getting done. 352 ERA, 5-3 record for Cease, but a 143 whip in 53 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 32 walks and nine home runs and yet he's got that 5-3 record with 352 as his ERA. Meanwhile for Darvish, it's been a little bit rough for him recently, but still a 222 ERA, whip of a one, and you take a look at the last three starts. He has given up three runs in two of them, four runs in another one of them. Now, I will say, in the start against the Cleveland Indians, the defense did not help him out in any of the other two starts. The offense generated zero runs for him, so that's been a little bit tough. He's likely out of the Cy Young voting, despite the fact that he got 88 punch outs and 69 innings so far this year, and he was costed a couple more decisions, probably, because the Chicago Cubs have been absolutely terrible when it comes to their stars being able to hit. You've got Wilson Contreras and Victor Carantini hitting between a 235 and a 250 along camera. Maybe Jason Kipnis and Ian App have been hitting right around a 255 to a 260 with 350 on base percentages. And Jason Hayward has a 400 on base. He has been a little bit in and out of the fold so far this year, but he's been great. But then Jose Ramirez, Billy Hamilton... Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, Javi Baez, along with David Bodie, all hitting a 222 or lower. That is absolutely terrible. I will say this for the Cubs, though, as well. You've been able to get some good bullpen pitching recently over the last 30 days. They're in the top 10 of the big leagues. You've been able to get guys like a Craig Kimbrell, who was just absolutely terrible at the beginning of the year, getting going. Jeremy Jeffries of the bullpen has been solid as well. And for the Chicago White Sox, Aaron Bummer is back. He wound up being able to give the team a nice ending of relief on Thursday. Now, the fact that they wound up bringing in Carlos Rodon out of the bullpen was absolutely terrible, but the good news is that means that guys like Matt Foster and company are going to be available as well. So there is a little bit of solace with that. And for the Chicago White Sox, this is an amazing lineup. You've got Adam Engel. Eloy Jimenez, Jose Abreu, Tim Anderson, Nick Madrigal, Yomer Sanchez, all hitting at 295 or higher. I will say for Luis Robert, he has seen his batting average sink to right around a 230 along with Yasmani Grandal, but for Grandal, 350 on base. You've got James McCann hitting at 275 whenever he's out there. Ebenezer Encarnacion just has not gotten on base to save his life, but I do like what I'm seeing out of this White Sox team, but I think that Darvish is going to be able to shut them down. I think that the Cubs are going to be able to get a little bit of something going off of Dylan Cease. I think it's going to be a lower scoring game just because that's the way the 
Cubs offense has really been operating. So I'm going to be taking this total under, but we are going to be riding with the Chicago Cubs on the money line as well. 919, 920 on the betting board is up next. Minnesota Twins are going to be playing OC Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati and they are in Minnesota facing off against Jose Barrios. Meanwhile, they are going to counter with Tyler Molly. If you're looking at the total, it is 8.5. The over and under are anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. If you're taking a look at the Minnesota Twins, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 145 and minus 155 plus price here with the Cincinnati Reds. Anywhere between plus 130 and plus 142. And with Tyler Molly, he has just been a tough luck guy for the Cincinnati Reds over his last 50 starts. I think the team has won like 12 of them. I mean, I'm not even kidding when I say that. Sad as well. They just don't win his starts. He's given up six home runs and 45 and a third innings, but he's punched out 56 of them. 350, 70 RA, 2-2 record. He's actually been very good for this team. Whip of a 110, so he's been able to limit the damage there. Meanwhile, for Barrios, this is always a guy that's been much better at home than he has been on the road. 5-3 record, 372 ERA for the year. Giving up six home runs and 58 innings. And you take a look at the recent form. Three runs of fear were given up in each out of his last five starts, four of which have been on the road. So that has been a very pleasant surprise for the Minnesota Twins who back him up with a top-ten bullpen. Now guys like Caleb Thielbar have not necessarily been terrific, but I like Tyler Clippert. Sumergio Romo, aside from a few days ago, has been pretty rock solid. You've got Taylor Rogers, so I do like what they're providing there. But you take a look at Barrios at home, 267 ERA, five starts. He has given up just two home runs, 12 walks, 36 strikeouts, so that has been pretty darn impressive. And for the Cincinnati Reds, what is pretty darn impressive is how bad this team is at putting back to ball. Now, I will say they have heated up at just the right time. I believe that they come in winners of seven out of their last eight, but you take a look at this lineup. You got Shogo Akiyama along with Joey Votto, Nick Cassianos, and Mike Moussakis, all in between a 225 and a 235. Now, I will say, on base for pretty much everyone except for Cassianos, it's actually been a 340 or higher. So I give them some credit there. Eugenio Suarez, though, he's hitting a 205. Freddie Galvis, a 205. Tucker Barnard, a 204. Kirk Casale, barely above the Mendoza line. Audi Cide Sakino, a buck 82. Jesse Winker has been the main concept for this team. 385 on base, 259. Batting average. Kyle Farmer also hitting a 259, but it's just been a little bit unsightly. I will say this for the Reds. They do a good job of being able to belt home runs, but you know what one of the most pitcher-friendly parks is? You guessed it, Target Field. So that's not necessarily going to bode well for them. And for the Minnesota Twins, this is a team that they themselves have been really scuffling when it comes to the bats as well. They've been able to come alive a little bit more, but they're still the top under team at home so far this year for a reason. Now, Byron Buxton, double-digit amount of home runs in the leadoff spot, and sitting at 260 is pretty significant. But then you got Josh Donaldson, Max Kepler, Jay Cave, along with Miguel Sano, Marwan Gonzalez, all in a 234 or lower. And in the case of Sano and Marwan Gonzalez, as well as a 207, I will say they have been able to get something out of the catcher's spot as Ryan Jeffers has emerged as a 288 hitter. But having Nelson Cruz in and out of the fold the last couple of days has hurt as he's been able to give the team a double-digit amount of home runs. He's currently listed as day-to-day. That means that you're going to need a little bit more out of someone like a Ore Polanco who's hitting a little bit above a 250 for the team, Eddie Rosario as well. I do think that this is going to be a in which the Minnesota Twins are going to get the job done. And with the Reds relying upon the deep ball for all their offense, I think that it's going to be a lower scoring game because they actually do have a decent bullpen with guys like Lucas Sims and company coming in to be able to lend some relief. So we are going to be taking this total under and I am going to be riding in this spot with the Minnesota Twins. 921-922 on the betting board is up next. This is part of a double dip between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Milwaukee Brewers. This is going to be game one of the doubleheader, 921-922, as it is going to be Josh Lindblom who's going to be facing off against 
Daniel Ponce de Leon. That's number one when it comes to betting rotation order. That's actually going to be the 515 Pacific, 815 PM Eastern game, which is going to be game number two. I always love how they make it nice and confusing on it for us. But with that said, 931, 932 is going to be the actual game one when it comes to a time standpoint, 215 PM Pacific, 515 PM Eastern. That is going to be Captain Jack Flaherty of the St. Louis Cardinals going up against Brent Suter of the Milwaukee Brewers. No numbers on either of these games. With Jack Flaherty, the last time he faced off against the Milwaukee Brewers, it was the worst start of his career. He didn't make it past four innings. He wound up giving up north of a touchdown in that game. It was absolutely terrible. And for Brent Suter, he really hasn't went more than three innings. And as I'm seeing it right now, for game one, it's actually going to be Josh Lindblom versus Jack Flaherty, according to ESPN. So ESPN and the betting board are certainly not meshing. Good thing we don't have numbers on either of these games because it makes it very, very interesting. Let's say that you do for game two, the 5.15 p.m. Pacific game, get Daniel Ponce de Leon against Brent Suter. Certainly going to trust in Suter a little bit more. I will say for Ponce de Leon, he has been able to give the team five plus innings in each out of his last two starts, and he's cut down on the walks. Three walks in those last 11 innings. You take a look at him for the year. It has been a little bit unsightly with that regard as he's got a career 1-7 record despite the fact that he does a good job of getting punch shots for his career north of 10 strikeouts per 9 innings but he's given up 18 walks in 26 and 2 thirds innings so far this year that has really been what has been his undoing and for Suter he just typically gives you 3 innings he's got an ERA that is south of a 3-5 he's going to be backed up by guys like Devin Williams along Josh Hader and company assuming that they don't pitch in game 1 and if they do pitch you're probably going to be looking at Alex Claudio coming out for a couple innings as well so that's going to be interesting meanwhile you take a look at Jack Flaherty I just think that he's going to scuffle a little bit once again in this spot. He wound up having a nice start his last time out against the Pittsburgh Pirates, but he has went more than five innings just twice so far this year, and both of those starts came against the Pittsburgh Pirates. So there is a little bit of that. If you're finding either Brent Suter or Josh Lundblom getting a big plus price against Jack Flaherty, I'll probably be taking a look at that. The Brewers are absolutely desperate for these games for one, as both of these teams are, let's face it. But for Lundblom, some positive regression has been due in from, and it has come in his last two starts. A combined five and a third innings in those starts against the St. Louis Cardinals and the Kansas City Royals. One run, give it up. And if you add in there the last two relief appearances that he's had, four straight outings without a home run or walk surrendered. He is pitching his best baseball right now. He is able to throw at you the kitchen sink, a double-digit amount of pitches. I like that. And with both of these lineups, I like the fact that they're not generating any runs. I'm probably going to be taking a look at unders in both of these spots, assuming that they are set at... Six or more. I mean, maybe I would take a five and a half between Limbloom and Jack Flaherty under, but that I would probably even be taking a look at and over with just because the number is so low. But you take a look at this Brewers lineup, you just expect more out of these guys. Christian Yelich, along Kesson, Hip Hip Yurah, Jace Peterson, Daniel Vogelback, Eric Sogard, Jacob Nottingham for the year. All these guys are hitting a 221 or lower. Though. I will say for Vogelback, ever since he got to Milwaukee, he's hitting above a three iron. That's nice. You've got Luis Arias along with. Mr. Tyrone Taylor, Orlando Garcia, Aviseo Garcia, and Ryan Braun in between a 240 and 250. And this might be Ryan Braun's last dance. So he's going to be coming out with some fire. Jack Gurko might be the best hitter for this team right now. 350 on base, 9 home runs, 265 batting average. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, this is a team that you can tell they are just starting to get gas. Paul DeYoung, Colton Wong, Tommy Edmond, hitting between a 250 and a 260. Dexter Fowler's back. That is big because he's got fresh legs. He and Yadier Molina hitting between a 265 and a 275. And Paul Goldschmidt, 423 on base. But then you've got Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Matt Carpenter, 
along with Dylan Carlson, all hitting a 210 or lower. Now, I will say this, for Carpenter, he has been able to get a 320 on base, and Harrison Bader has a little bit of pop in the bat, but with the St. Louis Cardinals, they had to burn through their bullpen as well. Giovanni Gallegos, Alex Reyes, Andrew Miller, Genesis Cabrera all came into the game on Thursday, all went at least 15 pitches for the Milwaukee Brewers. This is a team that they were expecting a lot more than three and two-thirds innings from Corbin Burns, but the good news is they were able to burn some of their, let's call them, less than trustworthy relievers, so I actually do think that that gives the Brewers a little bit of an edge. Like I said, if I'm getting a big plus price against Jack Flaherty, I'm probably going to be taking it with the Milwaukee Brewers, likely looking at a pair of unders here, and when it comes to the Ponce Leon versus Brent Suter start, if that winds up being the case, probably would be looking at the Brewers there, but check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GRS41 since it seems like Nobody has any idea what these pitching matchups are going to be, let's be honest. 923-924 on the betting board is up next. We know a little bit more about this as the Seattle Mariners hit the road to face off against the Oakland A's. Chris Bassett has a soak line and sinker for the Oakland A's. Meanwhile, Yusei Kikuchi is going to be going for the Seattle Mariners. Your total on this game range between 8.5 and, and 8. On the 8, overs juice minus 115, unders minus 105. On the 8.5, unders anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. Overs anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. If you're looking at the Mariners, find them anywhere between plus 170 and plus 185 with the Oakland anywhere between minus 192 and minus 205. Yusei Kikuchi has seen throughout his career about two-thirds of his starts go over the total. He has just been absolutely terrible. He has not been able to find it ever since being a star out there in Japan. This is someone that for the year 593 RA has only given up three home runs, two over the course of 41 innings. The 17 walks have nipped him in the tuckus. He's backed up by a bullpen of guys like Austin Michevich, Yoshi Arano, who have a couple okay arms. Julie Gerber has been okay as well, but then when you get to guys like Kendall Graveman and company, it's just not good news. And for Kikuchi, has given up at least three runs in four out of his last five stars. That has been less than seller and gave up six walks in four innings in his last start against the San Diego Padres. Meanwhile, for Bassett, he has actually been very good. 250-70, all right. Six home runs given up in 56 innings. That was a little bit of an issue for him last year. He's given up right around three and a half walks per nine innings, but you take a look at what he's done recently. One run given up combined in his last three starts, all of which went six plus innings. Before that, he had given up a combined eight runs and eight and two-thirds innings, six of which were earned, so that was a little bit of an issue, but it seems like he certainly is starting to find it with the Oakland A's. We know that this bullpen is very special. They didn't have to go to too many of the trustworthy guys because they were losing early and often to the LA Dodgers on Thursday, so that means that guys like Liam Hendricks, along with even someone like a Weems, J.B. Wendelkin, all these guys are going to be available. For the Oakland A's, the batting average has not necessarily been terrific, but when it comes to the amount of runs that they generate per hit, they're in the top five of the big leagues with that regard, and it's big because you've got some guys that they're not necessarily doing a great job of being able to get on base. As Marcus Simeon, along with Matt Olson, Ramon Laureano, Jake Lamb, all hitting a 222 or lower, but for Olsen, 14 home runs. He's been able to give the team quite a few RBI. A lot of these guys have a on-base percentage worth of a 300, and then you got Tommy LaSalle at the top, hitting a 272. That's big because you got guys like Stephen Piscotti, Mark Hanna, Robbie Grossman, Sean Murphy, all in between, I would say, about a 225 and a 240 for these guys. So that has been a little bit unsightly for the Seattle Mariners. You've been able to get something out of the top of the line if J.P. Crawford is back. He's hanging right around a 225, but he's been able to give this team a little bit of something. The Kyles have been nice. Kyle Lewis and Kyle Seeger both have on-base percentages north of a 355. And Ty France also joins that fold. He's hitting nearly a 300. Jorge Marmolois has only been hitting a 230, but he's got some pop in the bat. Philip Irvin is now hitting above the Mendoza line. Tim Lopez at 250. Luis Torrens, more on a 275. I will say Evan Wipe, Braden Bishop, D. Strange, Gordon. These guys have been hitting below the Mendoza line along with guys like Shed Long, Malik Smith that are currently injured. But 
I overall absolutely love the outlook of the Seattle Mariners, especially when they get Jared Kilnick up to the big leagues. That will probably be happening next year. But in this spot, I think that's just going to be Yusei Kikuchi getting shelled once again. I'm going to be taking this total over, and I'm going to be looking at the A's on the run line. Most likely going to be right around minus 110-ish when this podcast comes out, but certainly like that. 925-926 on the betting board is up next. You've got the LA Angels, and they are hitting the road to face off against the LA Dodgers. Clayton Gershaw is going to be going for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, you've got Andrew Heaney on the bump for the Angels. If you're looking at the Angels, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 190 and plus 210. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Dodgers, you're lying anywhere between minus 215 and minus 235. Total on this game, ranging between 8.5 and 8. On the 8, the over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. On the 8.5, under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. Over is anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. For Andrew Heaney, he has actually been having a very nice season in that he's been able to keep the ball in the yard after giving up north of a home run and after nine innings last season. He's only given up six in 62 and two-thirds innings so far this year to go with 17 walks. Strikeouts are a little bit down. He's getting more around nine and a half bunch outs per nine innings last year. That was in the double digits, but he has been great. And Clayton Kershaw probably deserves a little bit more club for Cy Young if it wasn't for the injuries that he's faced this year. 54 and a third innings. He's given up about a home run per nine innings. Only eight walks in that time span. 59 strikeouts, .75 whip, 2.15 ERA. I will say this. He has been made around a little bit more recently. He has given up three plus runs in two out of his last three starts, but man, he is still the Clayton Kershaw that we all know and love, and he's actually rested, but he's running into the Angels at the wrong time. This is a team that has badly underachieved this year, but the Angels come in, I believe now, winners of six out of their last eight, and they've been able to do a great job of hitting. They've scored at least four runs in 11 out of their last 13 games. You've got David Fletcher, Jared Walsh, Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, Tyler Ward, all inning a 280 or greater for this team, and all these guys aside from Ward, 377 on base or greater. Now, Shoei Otani, Justin Upton, Anthony Benboom, Luis Rangifo, inning a 220 or lower, not necessarily terrific, but you've got a couple of these guys doing a solid job of being able to reach base, and they're getting a lot of power out of Mike Trout, who's got a top five home run amount out there in the big leagues for the LA Dodgers. Corey Seager and Mookie Betts, they combined 31 home runs. Both of these guys hitting north of a 290. They do a great job of getting on base. Justin Turner down for what is back. He's hitting north of a 285. You have been able to get Cody Bellinger going a little bit as well. After a terrible start to the year, he's now hitting above a 240. AJ Pollock, Morani, 265. I will say Jock Peterson, Kike Hernandez, both of these guys are hitting a 230 or lower along with Max Muncy, but Edwin Rios has been able to find a little bit of something as well. Will Smith is getting jiggy with it, nearly a 400 on base. He's able to hit for some power as well, so I do like the overall outlook of this LA Dodgers lineup, but I do think that this is going to be a spot in which you might see Clayton Kershaw pulled a little bit early just to be able to get him set for the postseason. I do think that Andrew Heaney going to be able to keep the ball in the yard. This is a big game for the Angels because even though their season is done, they have the battle for Los Angeles and a lot of young guys looking to prove themselves. So for that reason, I'm going to be riding with the Angels at a big plus price and we're going to be taking this total under as well. 927-928 on the betting board is up next. This is going to be in conjunction with 933-934. Double dip between the Colorado Colorado Rockies who are on the road facing off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. As I'm seeing it right now, game one is going to be 933-934. That is Antonio Sensatella going up against Zach Allen. And then for 927-928, it is going to be Taylor Clark who is going to be going for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And he is going to be going up against Mr. Santos, Antonio Santos, going for the Colorado Rockies. 
for Mr. Santos. This is someone that at the minor league level was not necessarily terrific and he's been used in mop-up duty twice so far this year in games of what she called Red Rockies. Lost by 9+. plus. You gotta think that this is gonna be a pseudo-open for him. He's given up 5 runs in 5 and a third innings. At the minor league level, he gave up quite a few home runs, quite a few walks, and I've gotta think that that's gonna be the same here. And for Taylor Clark, you wound up getting off to a really nice start to the year. Then it was pressed into the starting fold when Merrill Kelly went down with an injury and the bottom has fallen out for him. He's given up at least 3 runs in each out of his last 3 starts. I will say, that was against the Angels Dodgers and Giants, and we know this. Neither of these teams have necessarily been doing a terrific job of hitting for the Colorado Rockies. It certainly has been a little bit of a slug, though they are coming in with a little bit of momentum from that series against the Giants, a.k.a. Giantes, and for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they wind up taking two games from the Texas Rangers. A very good get-right team. You take a look at this Arizona Diamondbacks lineup, though. If they wind up playing their normal starters, they're not very good, as you've got Quetel Marte, part of the Marte Parte, he, Christian Walker, along with Nick Ahmad and David Peralta, all in between a 265 and a 287. Tim LaCastro has been able to hit a 250. Cole Calhoun, despite a 229 batting average, has a 340 on base, double digit amount of home runs. But then you've got Eduardo Escobar, along with Carson Kelly, Dalton Varsho, Wyatt Matheson, among many guys are in a 210 or lower for this team. I mean, you take a look at the flip side for the Colorado Rockies. They get more than 50 points lower on the road than they do at home, though. They are getting a little bit of something out of the top of the fold, as you've got Remy Altapia, Kevin Pilar, Trevor Story, Charlie Blackman, playing between a 290 and a 308. Nolan is on the injured list. His season is done. Josh Fuentes is hitting a 321. And then Ryan McMahon, along with Sam Hilliard, Tony Walters, Drew Butera, owing a 220 or lower. That has not necessarily been terrific for this team. But for the Colorado Rockies, the bullpen has been solid. Now they had to go to Michael Givens, Daniel Bard, and Jario Diaz in that game against the San Francisco Giants yesterday. So they're going to be a little bit more spent. And for the years under Diamondbacks, they did have a day of rest. So you got to think that some of their more trustworthy guys like a Stefan Kicktran, a Yoan Lopez, they're all going to be available. That gives you a little bit of a leg up there. And when you take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks for the game in which Zach Allen is going to be starting, that is going to be one in which I'm probably going to be starring the Arizona Diamondbacks in and under. For Zach Allen, he has given up three runs or fewer in all but two of his career 26 starts. Now, he had a little bit of a rough go of it in those two starts in the beginning of September against the Giants and the Seattle Mariners. A combined 11 runs, give it up in 11 innings, but he bounced back nicely. Last start against the Houston Astros, he did give up three runs, but only one of which was earned. He's done a good job of keeping the ball in the yard. Nine home runs, give it up in 66 innings, 72 strikeouts. I really think that he's going to be a star in this league. And for Antonio Sensatella, he's going to be going up against him. He's not top liver either. This is someone that I believe has pitched two complete games so far this year. He's given up two runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts. He's been solid at home. He's been good on the road. I like what he brings to the table, but the problem is 39 strikeouts in 69 innings. He has only given up 14 walks, so he keeps the game out in front of him. So I do think that that's going to be a little bit of a problem. I'm probably going to be looking at unders in both of these games because I think that the game with Santos for the Colorado Rockies is probably going to be a bullpen game. If the numbers are respectable, I'll probably be looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks in both of these spots. Jeff Gack in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jerry's 41. These double headers get janky. They certainly get very fascinating, but that's my early leans based on these matchups. And we wrap things up with another double dip. 929-930 on the betting board. You got the San Diego Padres on the road against the San Francisco Giants. It looks like in game one, which is actually 929-930, it's going to be Denelson Lamette going up against To Be Determined. And then in 935-936, it is going to be Chris Paddock going for the San Diego Padres and To Be Determined for the San Francisco Giants. As I'm seeing it right now for the game in which Denelson Lamette is going to be pitching, it's looking like Tyler Anderson, and that means that it's probably going to be a San Diego Padres run line as 
You take a look at Tyler Anderson. He just has not been very good so far this year. He's given up four-plus runs in, I believe, now five out of his last seven starts. I will say his last start against the Oakland A's was solid 200 runs over the course of five and two-thirds innings. That's really been the only form of life that we've seen from him. He has only given up one home run in the last five starts as well. And I will say the San Diego Padres, the lineup is starting to really start to regress a little bit, but you still have Manny Machado hitting above a 316 home runs. Eric Cosmer has been very solid. Fernando Tatis Jr. in the month of September has scuffled, but he still has 14-plus home runs, 30-plus RBI. He's still going to be going out there, and he's still going to be mashing. You got, like, the facts that Jerickson Profar is hitting at 275. Bo Myers more around at 291. Tarrant Grisham, 350 on base. You haven't necessarily gotten a lot out of Mitch Moreland along with Austin Supernola since they've been acquired, but you do have Tommy Pham back to fold. You got to think that he's going to find it at some point. I do like for the Padres, the fact that the bullpen has looked much better recently. You've been able to get a little bit more out of someone like a Pierce Johnson. They wind up getting in Dan Altavia, who had an ERA north of six with the, the Seattle Mariners with the Padres. That is more around a 4-2-5. And I do like the fact that before the year, they wound up picking up Tim Hill. He has been good out of the bullpen as well. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of the San Francisco Giants. This is a team that they really had to dive into their bullpen against the Colorado Rockies. So that is going to be a little bit of an issue for this team as they wound up having some Selman go out there back-to-back days. Caleb Barger as well. Trevor Kale wound up going for 23 pitchers. Tyler Rogers as well, so they're going to be a little bit spent with that regard, but for the San Francisco Giants, despite the fact that Mikey Stremski has not been in the starting lineup recently, he did make a pinch hitting appearance on Thursday, so you got to figure that he's going to be back in fold, and he, Darren Ruff, along with Mauricio Dubon, Austin Slater, Adam Dickerson, Brandon Belt, all hitting a 280 or greater, and then you get Wilmer Flores, Brandon Crawford, Evan Longoria, all hitting between a 260 and a 270. This is a very fearsome lineup. Daniel Robertson is hitting a 350. You love what these guys bring to the table. This is going to be a very interesting double dip. Now, in game one, if it is Lamette versus Anderson, like I'm thinking, I'm going to be going with Lamette on the run line. He has not given up a single run first time through the order. 3-1 record, 2-0-70 RA. He deserves better than a 3-1 record. Five home runs given up in 65 and a third innings. 19 walks at 89 punch outs. That is probably going to be a run line play there. If you're seeing a total that is... Six or higher, I'm probably going to be taking a look at the under. If you see one of those, like, random five and a halfs, I might be taking a look at the over. But I think that Lamette is going to be able to hold down the fort. Not really sure what the Giants are going to be going with for game two. If it's going to be a bullpen game, I might need to look at Paddock. Now, with Paddock, it's going to be a little bit of a dangerous game. He's given up 11 home runs at 55 and a third innings. But I will say this. One home run surrendered in his last four starts, that ironically enough, was against the San Francisco Giants. He wound up going two innings. He gave up one run. I think that he wound up having to leave that one due to injury. So that was one in which you sort of throw it out the window. But I do think that this is going to be a spot in which I'll probably be looking at the Padres in both of these games. Now, things are certainly subject to change with regards to the starting lineups. We have absolutely no idea what the Giants are going to be going with in Game 2. And if you see something ridiculous like the San Francisco Giants getting north of $2, that's certainly going to change things. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's41. That's also where you're able to fire in a question. If you do have it for this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Podcast, myself, Greg Peterson, a big thanks to Jake Hasman of SportsMap Radio for joining me in the last segment. And if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And if you ever have a question for the podcast, like I said, Twitter Timeline, or you can send it via Apple Podcast Review. Leave a question, comment, concern there. And please do rate five stars because that helps get a little bit more exposure for this podcast. If you like what you're hearing, that helps me be able to do what I do on a daily basis even more. I do appreciate you guys tuning in every day. Hopefully you're all safe, healthy, and doing well. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.